everybody. It's Pastor Royce here with the Church of the Harvest Family Ministries podcast. Today is a super exciting day as we get into September, into the change of seasons, pivoting from summer into the autumn season. Um, I am joined here by an amazing human being, Mrs. Ariel Griffin. So how are you doing today? Doing well, thank good, you. Good, good. Well, um, as you guys know, we've been videoing these recently, so it'll be available on YouTube, but also audio format. Um, and we just exist to be a resource, you know, as you go through month to month. Uh, we release these typically once a month. Um, just kind of recap the things that we did in the past month and kind of looking forward to the upcoming month. And so as I am joined here by Ariel, Ariel, introduce yourself to everybody. Um, well, glad to be here. I I don't know I don't if I have that much wisdom to offer, but uh, it is a blessing to be at Church of the Harvest outside of church um, serving here. I oftentimes am home because that's where I work. And my 40-hour gig is I'm providing technical support and education um, in the 10 countries where we work um and then yeah outside of that um i'm also serving as a coach helping people navigate some difficulties in their life uh also serve as a consultant where i develop uh, e-courses and areas of diversity so just doing a lot of different things in addition to being a wife and a mom in that order (laughs) when you have um, an amazing family um, that I know my family is uh, close to and loves very much matter of fact I got to have um, a conversation with your husband last night we geeked out over the spider-man movie and so as an illustrator and comic book fan, um, that was a fun moment to get to hang out with him a little bit and chat with something that I'm very passionate about. And so, and you have two beautiful children. Tell us about yes. your kiddos. Yes. So our oldest is William Augustus Griffin Jr. That's the full <laughs> government name. We call him Memo. Memo. <laughs> and he's three. He's great. He was born April 2020. So oh, that. In the thick of it. Yeah. In the, in the thicket. But it was, it was awesome actually for us because we didn't have to tell people don't kiss our baby. Yeah. So that was really great. Um, and then the, our youngest is Oro, Emmanuel Oro. Um, we call him Oro, which means gold, mm. not just in Spanish, but also in my dad's language. My dad's from Nigeria. So it was really cool that we found a word that meant there the same in both of those languages. That's awesome. Yeah. So how many, um, I know that you raise the boys bilingual, yes. um, and there's a lot of Spanish that goes on there too, but are there any other languages that are in the mix in your household? Yeah, so I, I I do my best to stay in English, and I'll try for this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I got a, I got a little bit of Spanglish in I me, know, but that's about it. I know. I'm like, I've been speaking Spanish all day, so I'm like translating some things. But um, all that being said is, yes, so it's primarily Spanish at home. English is sprinkled in every once yeah. in a while um, because our oldest gets that in school. So we try our best to go in on the Spanish. And then in addition to that, my husband actually knows French. That's what he studied in school. So I did not know that Um, him and my daughter, Chloe will have a good conversation. Yeah. We learned, we learned Chloe knows some French. I busted out my random, (laughs) you know, (laughs) dude, I can't do French. That's not my, that's not my jam. Yeah. So um, in addition, you know, because I also, my organization, we work in the Philippines, so I tried to learn some t- some Tagalog. I watch a lot of K dramas. So I've been on Mango <laughs> languages in Korean. Korean. 
Korean. Um, so go. it's pretty cool because our oldest, Memo, he's only three, but he can recognize that there's different languages. Mm-hmm. And so I'll be like, okay, so if you want to say this in another language, he'll repeat it. Right. And it's not like, oh, what's that? That's weird. So he's gotten accustomed to that. Yeah, the, the cognitive uh, process of language development, um, especially with kids, right? You're super malleable in that well, zero to four mm-hmm. age range. And so it's like a superpower that they have. Um, odd little known fact about my life. My mom was actually fluent in Spanish before she was fluent in English, but she lost it by the time she was eight. Yes. She grew up on a military base. And so um, that was a common thing, but she she lost it because it is one of those things, if you don't use it, you lose it on the language front because mm-hmm. the part of the brain that it uh, kind of excites and elicits, it's it's pretty, it ha- there's a point where it gets locked in. Yeah. But anyway, I always thought that was super cool because obviously, you know, you don't, you, typically like there's, you know, kids coming to church and there's a primary language that's mm-hmm. spoken in the house and it kind of cognitively associates to their visual reality. And then you guys come in here speaking like all these languages <laughs> and the kids, it's like, wait, that's William, that's Emmanuel. And it's like, that's Ordo, that's Memo. Like, and it's like, oh, wow, how does this, this is so cool to me. Like, I love those kinds of like, how did you come to that conclusion with how you're going to raise your kids. And I just think it's a super cool yeah. part of life. Cause it's, you know, we're in the middle of the country, you guys, like there's people speak English and bad English. And then <laughs> that's, that's it. You know, that's kind of it. Like I bust out Greek words all the time and people just look at me like I have an arm growing out of my face. And I'm like, I'm not speaking in Greek. Like mm-hmm. I teach the Bible and mm-hmm. it's got two languages primarily. I mean, Aramaic is in there, but, um, biblical so- Greek is on mango languages. By oh, the way. hey, many I think languages, the plug. Well. <laughs> uh, I will say Greek, uh, Koine Greek is, uh, is an easier hill to tackle than Hebrew, unless mm-hmm. you have some friends from Jerusalem that can help yes. you <laughs> with your Hebrew. But um, I did want to talk because obviously, you know, your kiddos are younger, yeah. right? And so you're kind of experiencing the seasons of parenting in obviously complicated forms, right? When your kiddos are younger, they're a little bit, uh, everything isn't complicated necessarily, but the dependence type is a lot more complicated than as it is when they get older. So it's kind of like you, there's these trades that happen in parenting where as children gain more independence, other areas of their life become more complex and complicated. But in the area that you're in, how do the, like the changing of the seasons, and I don't mean that obviously we're on the crux of, you know, August into September. And so with that comes the conclusion of the summer and the beginning of autumn. Um, And so we can look at it that way, but I, I more mean the seasons of life, right? The seasons of, um, you know, transitioning from one mode of interaction to a different mode of interaction. Mm-hmm. How does that work in your family dynamic right now? Like, is it really impactful as the natural seasons change? Does that kind of dictate things? Because I know a lot of parents, you know, kiddos are getting settled into school in September. There's new friend groups. Maybe you had a kiddo go from uh, one school to another, maybe elementary to middle or middle to high school. Mm-hmm. Um so how does that work for you guys? Like, are there dynamic changes that are kind of happening all the time or are they kind of incremental? Yes. Um, I guess I can sum it up in the Disney song, Bare Necessities. Oh, there you go. Hey, let's get back to basics. <laughs> I mean, you know, because you're right. There's a lot of seasons changing, but I feel like for our family, we care about the transitions. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so I think if we focus on, hey, a season's changing, it can be stressful if you don't think about the transitions. And, you know, my background, I was in the classroom. I was a high school teacher. Yeah. So um, all that being said is that for me, I realized that if I was in front of a group of students, it wasn't about, you know, the next thing that I wanted to teach. It was always about how am I going to transition them from one activity to another? Mm -hmm. um, how do I transition them into my classroom after, after they've left another classroom? And so in our family, it's the same way okay. where the transitions are the important piece. So right now we're in a transitionary period because even though many people have started school, many programs don't start until September. Sure. Yeah. And so for us, for example, Memo will start soccer in oh. September. He started when he was two. We're like hardcore soccer fans. Hey. So he's not. <laughs> <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Not yet. We'll I'm get him like, there. A little nervous. I was like, oh no, I can't force this on him, but we're going to try. <laughs> um, all that being said is that, you know, he started soccer in September and we've had a lot of transition in our life. Like I said, he was born in, during the pandemic and we've moved. He's he's on his third house that he's lived right, in. Okay. Um, and we were renting, but now we're buying this house. So we're moving into this place of permanence. Yep. But even in that, we had like a church search before we settled on Church of the Harvest. And so every Sunday he'd be like, what church are we sure. going to? Well, you know? that, yeah, that can be that can be really difficult to navigate, obviously, with that mm -hmm. age range when they're little, especially when they're little and they were born in the middle of a pandemic. Exactly. Right. The social anxieties and acclimation to individuals is exactly. a, a crazy thing to think exactly. about. Yep. So we've just gotten him accustomed to change. And so on his side, he wakes up and he's like, so what are we going to do today? Are we going to do this? And he'll present all the options based on things that he was, he's seen. But we've met him where he is by saying, hey, this is our plan for what's happening next. Mm -hmm. So we like meet each other. Right? right. And I think that's something that's been really helpful. So when we get in the car after I pick him up from preschool, he's accustomed to us doing a couple things. One of the things he knows I'm going to ask him about his day. And in the beginning, he used to be like, no popo en los pantalones, right? Mm. Like I didn't poop in my pants today. <laughs> I knew what that one meant. <laughs> and then eventually I was like, okay, so now that we've gotten that, you know, yeah. now I, I want to know more about your school day, you know, like <laughs> yeah. what'd you eat? Cause he brings his food um, to school. And so then it was just like, I didn't poop in my pants and I ate all my food. There we go. And now we're finally getting to the point where he can tell me about his day yesterday um, he talked about his teacher and I asked him if she was nice and he goes, and pretty too. So I'm oh. learning, learning new things about my preferences. <laughs> he's, he's developing preferences. I was seems. like, okay, noted. <laughs> this is the type of girl that my child likes, you know? So I think it's just like constantly adjusting as they're growing yeah. in those seasons, but being mindful of transitions. And now he associates after school, I get in the car and I talk to my mom about my day. Yep. For sure. I, so I think the, one of the things I'm notorious for telling parents, especially, is that parenting has to be proactive, mm -hmm. right? The proactive, like, especially around inevitabilities. Not all things in parenting are inevitable. Like, uh, mm -hmm. for a long time, people tried to convince me that parenting teenagers had to be hard. And it doesn't have to be hard. Like, I have a 16-year-old. Like, I've parented teenagers that weren't, didn't have my last name. Mm -hmm. Like, it can be fun. It is largely a matter of perspective. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I'm also notorious for saying is that focus determines your future. So what you, what you decide to focus on, where you decide to put your perspective, will in large part, and this actually is true, like, neurologically, mm -hmm. your perceptual system 
your your the the part of your brain that is your eyeballs actually influences how you experience that change mm -hmm. and so it works on a lot of different levels but that proactive nature of parenting whenever it comes to the the reality of just the inevitability of change because mm -hmm. change is going to happen but change doesn't have to be difficult and so i think the as we anticipate right our seasons and our transitions mm. having a uh, organically optimistic outlook not to use alliteration because that's what preachers do but that's what that was but yeah having an organically optimistic outlook is an option like that's on the table mm. and so i think it's very interesting that as you're talking about that one other thing that i do want to point out too is um the conversation right so i'm real big it's one of those things that does tend to get more complicated it doesn't have to get more complicated as your kiddos get older but obviously when you're dealing with a three four or five year old kiddo and you ask them how was your day um that can be very different than asking your 15 16 17 yes, year old kiddo um you you do one of the things i will just be practical with is kind of like um <clears throat> sharpening the questions mm. so one of the notorious questions that we have in our household is who did you play with today because I really want to know about the relationships that my kids are forming. Yeah. And, and then I want to get to understand a little bit of the personalities that are going on there. Um, just because I, I spent a lot of time in the cognitive behavioral realm. And so I can kind of, you know, go seal team six on the subconscious of what's going on in my daughter's friends groups, um, which is very different from my oldest to my youngest. Um, but you know, that the other thing that we ask um, when we eat, and we do make it a practice to eat dinner together, even though my oldest has a work schedule and, you know, uh, she babysits and she nannies <laughs> and she's very tied in a lot of different directions. And um, we still make it a priority to eat a meal together a day. And the question about that was, uh, what's what has been your favorite part of the day? Right. So just kind of taking those more broad questions and bringing them into a little bit finer detail, getting similar information. But again, it's enforced with just that practice of when I, you know, when your three year old, four year old gets in the car, they know this is what's going to happen. There's an expectation that's yeah. set. So how would you say that you guys um, uh, deal with change in a general sense? I know that it obviously that question is uh, always answered by, well, it depends on the change. But how do you guys, how do you feel like um, each person kind of navigates the, the differences of life that come? Yeah, I think in a general sense, it's always important to know like God's got it. Because <laughs> yeah. I think that the immediately, depending on the person, some people are like, they can't handle with the monotony of life. So they're always trying to change things. Um, but I would say the average person is adverse to change and it, it immediately makes them freeze up, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh my gosh, there's something different happening. And so for us, like we first acknowledge there's a change. We acknowledge God is sovereign. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Has complete power, control, and he knows what he's doing. And then we look at the change. And I think in our household, you know, we do like warnings. Our, our oldest is a child who likes to know what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be the same thing every time. Sure. And so we try our best to let him know what's within our realm of control and yep. what's not in our realm of control. And I think that's really, really important. Um, and then I would just say, I mean, we have a nine-month-old. And so our his sleep patterns change every day. 
<laughs> and okay, that affects okay. all of us. For sure. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> so we just try to, you know, sometimes when we wake up, one or all of us wakes up on the wrong side of the bed yeah. because we didn't sleep the night before. And so we really try to be honest with how we're feeling in the moment. Yep. Um, I know that a lot of people talk about conscious parenting, gentle parenting. I'm reading a book called Very Intentional Parenting. Okay. It's a great one. Recommend it. It's it's taken a lot. But one thing that it talks about is the importance of reparenting yourself. Yeah. Because sometimes our reactions to change is depicted by our family of origin Mm -hmm. and how we were taught to respond to change. So good. And so I think that's really important because in any given moment, how I react to change is going to be different than how my husband reacts to change. But what's cool is we actively get to impact how our children react to change because sure. we're in that process now yep. with them. Right. So that down the road, should they become parents, mm-hmm. they get the opportunity to say, oh, I know how to deal like with change. Mm-hmm. like, And they're starting to go through the process that we're leading them through right now. For sure. Yeah, I love the, um, you know, <clears throat> obviously with the statement being, you know, parenting is a very proactive thing. Obviously being proactive is very intentional. Yes. Uh, part of that. And I, I think too, the importance of understanding God's sovereignty in the midst of our ignorance sometimes, right? Like I tell people all the time, like I know how to parent my 16 year old today. It doesn't mean I'm not going to, I'm going to know how to parent my 16 year old yesterday. And it also doesn't mean that I know how to do that from my personal experience, kind of speaking to the reparenting part. Uh, My journey was such that I didn't grow up I have my stepdad, but he was largely gone a lot of times. And so male influence in my life was kind of sketchy and my dad wasn't around. And so it was like my mom, I grew up in a women's shelter for the Mm -hmm. first four years. And then, you know, it's just always kind of these not so ideal situations. And when I came to, um, essentially Christ, my first adventure with God was God, you know, how are you a father? How do you father and really intently searching the scriptures, looking for the revelation of God as dad, which is really complicated in a way, because like I longed for that. Now I've had the experience of meeting people who are very adverse to that because of their family of origin Mm -hmm. and because the connotation with the, the title father has been marred or scarred yeah, yeah. by a person who um, did not live up to the responsibility of that title. Um, but for me, it was like I really longed after that. Now, the b- beautiful b- byproduct of that in my life has been really the gift of understanding my sonship, mm-hmm. right? Like if you explore who God is as a father, that directly infers the, the role of the child, you know, like you're his kid. And that's, you know, I know people who have been born into incredible situations, for example, like I would say your kiddos, they're born into this incredible mother, father dynamic. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's a reason you're here (laughs) and you guys are amazing parents, just like so many parents Mm -hmm. here at church of the harvest. And so, um, you know, as many of you, I can grab and put on video and help influence the general population. Like I totally will. Um, because I've told people all the time, like I, I do like, it's, it's not a matter of judgment on a negative side, but there's maybe no greater fruit of a marriage than a teenager. Mm. And so if, for, especially with people who have really good teenagers, I'm like, I need to talk to you mm. or, or have you written a book? 
or two because I need you to give some influence yeah. to the world because this That's thing isn't easy. Awesome. You know, parenting is not just, a not. you know, like I only have two kids and that's complicated enough because each kid wildly different wild personality it's like how can we come from the same dna like and the same genetics and have such wildly different uh reality so let me ask you this who in uh your kiddos like who represents you more and who represents your husband more yeah that's a weird one (laughs) yeah um so everyone says they both look like him, but they look drastically different. So I was like, I've got to be somewhere in there. <laughs> um, but as far as personality, I would say, so William and I, you know, when we got married, we prayed and we said, like, we prayed, Lord, let us our house be a home of joyful love. Yeah, amen. And we've gotten to see the fruit in God responding to that in, um, in our children. So, so let me say yeah, one thing yeah, on that yeah, note yeah, yeah. because some of you guys don't know, but Memo, every time I see him on a Sunday morning, <laughs> he just runs at me and jumps on me, and he's a yeah. little ball of joyful love. Really so is. mission accomplished thus far. <laughs> we'll really see if it carries on to him I being know. 14. But like right now, I'm so stoked every time I see him. He's like zero or 100. He's got real <laughs> strong emotions. Um, and that side comes from me. Like, he's like a hundred percent, like, I love you. Or like, don't even talk to me, yeah. you know? And that's Luckily crazy. I haven't encountered that. This yes, one thus far. it's true because he loves it. He loves church yeah. of the harvest. I like as it. soon as we come out of our neighborhood, cause we're a mile and a half away, we get on black pop and he's like, church of the harvest, <laughs> church of the harvest. <laughs> yeah. That's so, cool. um, so all that being said is, you know, they both have these different versions of joyful love. So when memo was three months, I remember waking up in the middle of the night and he was making me laugh. Like in the middle of the night, a three month old. And I was like, I wake up and I was like, this kid's going to be a comedian. Hopefully not literally. <laughs> that's, Let's that's go. No, that's great. So I, said, I was like, he's definitely going to be a comedian. And he has been that way. He always yeah. like tries to make people laugh. Um, and if they won't laugh, he'll just laugh harder. Cause he's like, <laughs> I know I'm funny. Um, and Oro oh, already at nine months, he loves to laugh. Okay. Yeah. So I walked into the nursery, uh, this past Sunday and I can't remember one of, I, maybe it was Chloe was holding him, but like Chloe's back was to me and he just like looked at me. The eyebrows. He just, well, he, he, he was a little, he was a little like suspicious at first yeah. and then he just smiled uh-huh. so big and i was like my man yeah. what's up because yeah. i have encountered oro's other side oh yeah i've encountered oh, yeah. his sleepy side Woo. you know what i'm saying like the before sleep like, side have i eaten or i need to sleep yeah like, he's very yeah it's i mean he's He'll let got you strong know emotions as well he will so, let you know <laughs> that being said it's like my mom used to say a clown can't perform unless they have an audience okay and so memo clown auto audience that's literally <laughs> how we're rolling in the house every day love it, love um, it. so yeah i would say you know the parts of william that are really clear is that they both really like to explore especially auto mm-hmm. um and william he's always investigating things right. like he doesn't I would say he doesn't take people at their word, but that sounds negative, but it's more so he's not going to assume that people are speaking truth because he knows that we repeat things that we hear. Mm -hmm, So he's mm -hmm. always like going to find out and fact check. Whereas me, I'm like, oh, that sounds like a good fact. Let me spit that one out. I'm not going to check the background. Like, (laughs) like, it sounds accurate to me, you know? Um, And he's very different in that way. And I would say like, Oro's already starting to show those sides. Like he's always trying to figure out what's going on. His memory is so strong. Mm. 
He'll start playing with something he's not supposed to. And I'll put it behind my back. I forgot and I put it behind my back. Next thing you know, my child's holding it behind my back. <laughs> you know, so, at nine months. Yes. Yeah. Like I'm like, and at nine months, and he's been doing that for a while. Yeah. Um, and you know, William had a dream and he said, like, like uh Ordo's gonna walk early. And I was like, please just be like a day earlier than when Memo did it. <laughs> <laughs> You know, but at two weeks, he was already like trying to Pulling push up, up and yeah. pull up and all sorts of stuff. And I'm already seeing, I'm like, he's not going to fully crawl. I think he's going to jump to walking, you know? <laughs> um, so that's been really interesting that he's hitting milestones, different milestones at different ages. Yeah. And I think the good and the bad and the ugly are reflected in our children. So um, I think, you know, I've seen in both both of them, especially Memo, because Odo's nine months, he's a sure. baby. But in Memo, I've seen that he reacts sometimes before, like, processing it. And I, like, tend, that's, like, the side of me that I'm like, oh, like, I should process <laughs> that a little bit longer before reacting. And um, something that I read in this book that I had mentioned earlier was, you know, if you walk around, like, without processing the things that you've experienced in the day, you're going to be easily triggered. Mm. And so she, she gives the tip of like, Hey, when you're just like driving, not thinking, well, we're all, I'm always thinking some people can go without thinking, but you know, when you're just driving, going from point A to point B, take some deep breaths. Cause you never know what your child's going to do when you get to that destination. Yeah. And I've been doing that so that I'm not walking in this state of just like being triggered. And I think that has been really important so i've been trying to apply that with memo via daniel the tiger daniel tiger go. you know let's go shout out to mr rogers and so just <laughs> like you know it's it's worth it to count down and to t- take deep breaths even when you're not in a place where you feel like you need to take a deep breath yeah for sure um, and i think you know there is god made our bodies that way mm-hmm. we're like taking in air <laughs> and take and breathing is not just a way just to go through life and survive, but it's a way to deal with the things that are like thrown your way, yeah. whether it's in parenting or whether it's, you know, your work or your, your family life or your social life. So that's kind of, yeah, I think too, just like, and uh, you know, I walked this out with my wife quite a bit. Um, I tend to be more of a <clears throat> big picture person. So I tend to like look at the season as like a whole corpus of activities. My wife's a little bit more micro in her vision. Um, and that has great benefits, especially when matched with somebody that is kind of looking out on the horizon. I think that's pretty stereotypical of like, um, it's it's been said that like men try to look at the horizon, but women see the spider that's right on there, you know, right in front of them. Um, and I, you know, the gender roles and how the, the vision process works it can alter, you know, drastically. Um, and in a lot of ways in my world, you know, I'm more the verbal processor and more of the kind of like outspoken emotional type person. My wife is a little bit more of the like somber, she doesn't need to talk about it kind of person, which is a little bit different in most, uh, or stereotypical dynamics. But when you, when you talk about, um, I want to touch on this because you, you talk about, pretty dynamic change from the day to day, meaning like, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes oral sleep's good, sometimes he doesn't, it's gonna kind of alter things. What's been the importance practically or just um, some of the things that have helped establish rhythm mm-hmm. in your household? Cause I know you mentioned that uh, Memo, he's he needs an expectation at least set mm-hmm. within, you know, uh, a general span of time or, mm-hmm. you know, so what does that look like with yeah. the dynamic changes? And then what's been really important in the space of rhythm? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so 
I think that sometimes, especially those who have watched a lot of podcasts or listened to podcasts or watch TikToks about parenting, when in the secular space, the way that we talk about rhythm is like, you got to have routines, right? But I feel like this is a unique space because I can talk about how God talks about for rhythm. Sure. Um, yeah, please and do. <laughs> for us, the thing that has to be consistent is work rest, right? And I think that's really, really important to mm-hmm. understand that for our children, what looks like work to them, it might be different than what it was for us when mm-hmm. we were children. And what looks like rest to them might be different. And, um, you know, God rested not because he needed to, sure. but because like, he all is about modeling. Right. <laughs> um, and he knew that we were going to need it. Right. And so that's one thing that's been really important for us, for us to look at our week and be like, okay, so this is what work looks like. Sometimes preschool might feel like work. Sure. Um, sometimes it feels like actually rest for him. And when he gets home to us, because we're always thinking and processing and talking, that might feel like work, you know? And so just being mindful that sometimes his reactions is maybe because he just needs rest in the way that he as a three-year-old or a nine-month-old might experience rest. That's, I think, one piece. I think the other um, piece that has been really important for us is the reality that we always talk about balance. And I've come to believe that in Christian space, this like balance is different. It's like God balance. You know, if our if our purpose is to give God gro- glory and glory is weightiness that God takes, that's pretty yeah. unbalanced. Yeah, there's right? actually a really great, <laughs> I, as you were mentioning that, like the immediate thought that I have, like I can picture where this book is in my house. Like there's a book called The Myth of Balance. Mm-hmm. It's a brilliant book. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a, I think people, sometimes we kind of like gamify or stress about certain things and concepts that like actually, when you really look at it, like don't exist. I'll give you a small example and then we'll go back to what we were talking yeah. about because like self-esteem is a really big yeah. topic of conversation a lot of times um, and it's not real. Like there's actually not a system of self-esteem that we can even find like neurologically. Um, There is a reality of how you understand your value from God's perspective being made in the image and likeness of God. And it's intrinsic to all human beings, Mm -hmm. but that's wildly different than self-esteem. That's, that's understanding God's esteem for his creation. So anyway, that's again, just a little example of some of these kind of myth type things. I think balance is a huge one, but I also know that the concept that you're kind of hinting, hinting at is, run super deep in your family. And here's how I know that. So this concept of like Sabbath and, and like what Hebrews talks about, we taught, we, we work for a Sabbath day rest mm-hmm. and that concept of just like, okay, hold on. Like there's, there's effort it, that produces rest kind of in a way. Another way that I've thought about it or that it kind of works out in my mind is, you know, like, um, um, bl- you know, Matthew chapter six, blessed are the peacemakers, mm-hmm. right? Well, a, peacemaker is not someone who's just calm all the time. A peacemaker is someone who knows how to war well. Mm, I needed that today. Like, (laughs) yeah, well, that's when that hits, when you understand that, (laughs) that peace is a secondary consequence of being able to war very well. Mm. Like there's a reason why the United States for, you know, all intents and purposes, like is a peaceful place. There's a reason we're not getting bombed and mm-hmm. like places like the Ukraine and are in that conflict, um, not to have any type of political conversations about it, but people know, like we know how to war well. 
Mm-hmm. So peace is a secondary consequence of that. And in a similar way, mm-hmm. right, rest is this consequence of being able to work well. And I remember the first time that Chloe babysat Memo and Oral, and you guys had a Google Doc <laughs> of, like, tasks and tips and tricks and me in my chaotic, I'm an, I was, I'm a creative illustrator. Like that was my past. And so my artistic ADD was just like, I can't even contemplate the level of put together that these people are. But then too, in conversation, we're just like a, we're like a pinball machine. Where we just bounce from one place to the next. That seems like it doesn't have any corollary, uh, like hitting points. And so it's so funny to me, like how the organization that helps stabilize that in your guys' life. And I I get it. I get how for the organic structure that is your family, it's absolutely necessary. Because if it weren't that, it'd be chaos. Chaos. Massive chaos. And no rhythm. Mm -hmm. And all responsiveness. And I love to to just see, because I know it's super purposeful. It doesn't come without very purposeful proactive and a lot of times that probably was produced out of like a painful moment it's like oh when i don't do that when i don't put in the work like work in first pressure pressure in first pain right whenever that's perceived correctly it Mm -hmm. it creates strength right but it's going to be hard either way it's really hard when you don't do it like it's like i tell people all the time like dieting is hard but you know what's harder having type 2 diabetes that's way harder Right. So it's like the work's going to happen. The work can be for you Mm -hmm. or it can be something that's happening to you. Yeah. Right. So I think in establishing that the rhythm of rest, obviously Sabbath is a very big concept and it, it, it's inferred with peace. Right. And I know that it's one of the 10 commandments, which I think is really important for people to acknowledge. Right. For sure. Is that like, you know, there's some of the 10 commandments that people are like, oh yeah, I shouldn't kill somebody. Uh, you know, and we'll just go to the sermon on the Mount. Yeah. And just get all that blown up. Yeah. I mean, there's some that people are like, oh yeah, lying probably bad because like the Bible even talks about there's a place for the people who lie. But when it comes to the Sabbath, it's like, but I got to get things done. How am I going to put food on my table? You know? And we make all these excuses for rest. Yeah, no, for sure. And that I think is uncomfortable for a lot of people. Like we, here's I, this is my own pet theory. I can make this argument from a, a psychological standpoint, but, um, a lot of times, like when I was in the business world, you hear that all the time. Like, how are you doing it? I'm busy. Um, and I was always like, are you busy or productive? Cause those are not the same thing. A lot of times we feel like the more we work, the more valuable that we are. We're trying to find value by putting something forward. That's, that's per- that other people perceive as value. Mm-hmm. And there can be a huge trap in that because we can get so busy trying to prove our worth that we never rest in the realization that the worth has been satisfied and was put on full display on the cross. Mm-hmm. Like there's no greater worth that's displayed in a human life than God incarnating himself in flesh and dying the death that we deserve. Like there's no higher value system there. Mm-hmm. And in Ephesians chapter two, like we've been reconciled to God and make sure that we understand that concept. That's different than you've been reconciled to Adam. 
I, I preached a sermon in 2019 called uh, Irresistible Grace, and it was one of the concepts that I brought up because I think a lot of times in our Christian life, and especially like sometimes in our parenting, maybe in our marriage, we live like we've been reconciled to Adam, which is back to kind of the zero mark. And if you, if you mess up, then you're in the negative. And if you do good, you're in the positive. And so you build this works-oriented way of relating to God. The problem with that, especially in parenting, is that then it bleeds over into the life of your kids. So the way that we value our kids sometimes is based off of their performance. And I would caution anyone that's in that space because it does not reflect God. And, and so effectively, where we don't reflect God, we're missing the mark, i.e. we're sinning against that person. And yeah. a lot of times that's our family. So there's massive need for repentance a lot of times. But it comes with understanding, no, my worth isn't proven by my busyness mm. or my work. My work was proven on the cross, and that's just a gift that I have to receive. I, I, can... think, I think you're saying something really important. Um, and I think that peace is related to when we talk about seasons and rhythms and all those pieces, is there's a reality, particularly in the United States, mm-hmm. particularly in Johnson, Johnson County, County. <laughs> yeah. where people oftentimes are like, how do I find my rhythm? And sometimes your rhythm's got too much going on, right? right? As you were talking, oh, you're like man. in the business world. And I was like, why is there an I in business? Because if you put a Y, you'd be telling too much truth. Mm, busyness. Because it really is. I love like, that. It is, Bars. There's so much. There's so That's much gangster. busyness, and that is sometimes we're like, oh, my kid has to be in this, and has to be this, and oh, be in this, man. and be in this, and we're trying to Preach, find a girl. rhythm. Preach. But like for those who are musical, you know that if you have too many notes going on, you can't hear the harmony. Mm. You know, mm. like so. At the mm. end of the day, some people like the way, way that they find their rhythm in different seasons is saying no to some stuff. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, and determining, I think bringing it back to your point is how do you determine what goes as a part of that rhythm and what do you say no to and what do you say yes to? And that's why I say we have to have a God balance that like we are looking to the Lord. He cares about those details. Like the same God who gave all the dimensions for an ark, mm-hmm. right? That was never needed before that time right. cares about what our daily looks like. Right. Like the same, he gave so many details about how people were going to, you know, go around Jericho. Yeah. Right. Right. Then obviously he Mm -hmm. cares about what we do with our day, our week, our month, our year, our season. Well, I think a lot of times what, what people, one of the things that I've seen get kind of confused is Mm -hmm. the difference between spontaneity and inspiration. Those are not the same thing. Inspiration that has that same um, idea of spirit, right? To inspire you, you inspire, you expire, you inhale, you exhale, right? Mm-hmm. That God inspired into the form of the, the um, clay and it became Adam, mm-hmm. right? But mm-hmm. um, there were so many things. One of the things that you said, um, this kind of goes back to the, the glory part, right? Glory follows order to your point of the dimensions, to the point of the plan, the rhythms, right? Like any, before God's presence filled the place, he gave a plan so that the presence could be held by that thing before the ark, right? So similarly, the glory that's found, and I find this so interesting because back to the 10 commandments, right? Honor your father and mother. Okay. Here's something I learned recently. That word honor is that same word for glory that weightiness is associated with, kavod, right? Mm -hmm. So make heavy the relationship with your mother and father. Or as parents, as we can hear it, 
relate to my kids in such a way that it would inspire the weightiness of the responsibility of the relationship that I have with them. Um, I don't know how practical that is, but I think on just a super practical note, um, the way, one of the ways that we do that in my house is you can have one area of performance, a sport, a music, a band, whatever you can have one of those, but the importance of the spiritual formation and the context that that happens within meaning church mm-hmm. is preeminent because nothing in our culture, nothing in our schools, nothing in their world relates to them on an ontological level, like a being level, an identity level outside of a relationship with God. And if not, they're going to try to source it from other places. Ariel, our time's up. Yeah. I appreciate you so big. Love you so much and can't wait wait to hear more from you in this space. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much. Pleasure.